Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I am very pleased today to have a special inspiring guest uh, sitting next to me here. She's an author, she is the CEO of a charity and uh, she runs her own YouTube show and she's such a strong believer, mashallah, she's very inspiring and really, I am really delighted and happy to have her on the show today. Sister Alia, salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam rahmatullah. How are you today? Alhamdulillah, yourself? Alhamdulillah, thank yes. you so much. Alhamdulillah. So, um, I, first of all, I'm very happy and thank you for your time and being with us today. And um, I would like to start our interview by knowing a bit about yourself. And I know you are a revert, mashallah. And when I talk to reverts, mashallah, it makes me really um, uh, glad and happy because I know the stories are very uh, inspiring and I'm 100% sure that many Muslims out there, they are really interested to know uh, what actually the uh, critical moment and what made people, you know, to come to Islam because that's kind of make their Iman stronger, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to Islam, Malia. First of all, thank you for inviting me on. Um, so I, I'm of mixed um, nationality. Um, my mother is Italian and my father is Nigerian. And I was born and raised in London. Um, I don't know how far back I should go, but I think I've always kind of been searching. I think being mixed race, um, there was a sense of wanting to belong. Um, at that time, in particular, it was, uh, you know, I mean, nowadays we have so many mixed race children, people, you know, it, it's quite common, but back, back when I was a child, being half caste, as they used to call us back then, um, it was, it was, it was a bit of a tough time, you know, you, you kind of didn't belong necessarily with, um, maybe, you know, the white part of you, you didn't belong with the, the, the black part of you. So there was always this sense of searching. So I grew up in a predominantly Bangladeshi Muslim community. And as a child, I would actually find it quite fascinating to find, um, you know, the kind of the men from the, the area that I lived in, you know, go to the mosque. Um, and my living room window was actually facing this kind of makeshift mosque. They were just, um, it was actually a container at the time. But if, as a child, what I would do is, a um, number of times in the day, obviously not knowing that they prayed five times a day, I would lean on the windowsill. And I, from, from my position, I could see into the container, so into the prayer area, and I would just, I would just lean there and look, look in and see men enter and, you know, bow down and prostrate. And for some reason, I found it quite fascinating. Um, and I guess maybe that was one of my first kind of experiences of Islam as a child. Um, but there were two other significant moments prior to taking my shahada in answer to your question, which I feel now looking back were perhaps stepping stones. Uh, one of them was you know, having kind of observed the men go and pray in this, in this makeshift mosque, uh, my, uh, I think I was about eight years old at the time, my parents were unfortunately 
um, arguing a lot. There was, um, you know, just a lot of kind of tension within the home. And as a child, I found it quite difficult. I remember one day after they had a, a massive fight, I took a shawl from my mum and um, a, a shawl that she had been gifted by her Pakistani uh, colleague, actually. And I put it on the floor and I prostrated. Oh. I was eight years old. I wasn't Muslim. And I said, God, make them stop. That's just like futra coming from a child. Honestly, honestly. And I remember, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to that time. I remember feeling, um, feeling like I was close to God in that position and that he would hear me and he would respond. So that was, that was, that was one. And then the, the, the other time was when I was 10 years old. And it was actually on my birthday. And one of my schoolmates um, after school had run across the road to, to buy some playing cards from a local news agent. And he was knocked over by a truck and died. Um, the school invited all of his classmates to his funeral. And I um, visited East London Mosque for the first time in hijab because I just wanted to kind of fit in. I was 10 years old. And I prayed. Mm -hmm. So you put on the hijab by yourself, no one told you? No, no, that was just to go to the funeral. But I wanted, I, obviously I was going inside the mosque. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, I was only a child, obviously, right. you know, knowing now. But I wanted to, out of respect, I wanted to do that. So I made that decision as a 10-year-old child to put on a scarf. And I attended the janazah prayer. And I made sujur, we actually prayed dhuhr. Um, obviously, I didn't know. I was just kind of following my Somali school friends who was praying next to me. And I went into sujood again. So this was the second sujood that I made prior to becoming Muslim. And I felt this sense of peace again in that sujood. And then we prayed the janazah prayer. So that was kind of like my second, you know, kind of close encounter with Islam. Years passed. Um, unfortunately, things uh, became worse at home. And um, I, bef I, I ended up befriending um, a girl at school. She was completely practicing, very devoted to her religion. I on, the, I, on the other hand, was quite popular, was a little bit wild, a little bit crazy. Um, but for some reason, we became very, very close friends. Uh, we were both in the top set in our class, so we were kind of often you know, paired with each other. Um, but we became close friends, worlds completely like worlds apart. And I observed that she was going through stuff at home as well. And, but what I observed in her was that there was this, this sense of peace. And she was always smiling. And despite what she was witnessing every day, unlike me, I was kind of crumbling and I was falling apart. And it was, you know, what was going on at home for me was really affecting me. She was a Muslim. She was practicing, yeah, practicing Muslim. I just found that she was just so grounded and so positive and so at peace. And I remember asking her one day, you know, what is it? How are you able to be like this? And her situation at home was actually far worse than, than, than mine. And she said, it's because of my, my religion. And... You know, and how, how old were, were you at that time? I was, this oh God, must have been about 12. Um, and then we, I, she became my confidant. I used to, to, to confide in her about you know, my thoughts, my feelings, what was going on at home. I used to ask her for advice. She became a support to me. Um, and then 
yeah, that kind of that relationship developed. Um, and then I started to ask her questions about Islam. And I started to research into Islam, but for one reason. And that reason was that I ended up developing such a love for her as a friend that I wanted to save her from what I felt was a backward religion and a, a religion that would restrict her and oppress her. So I started to research and read the Quran and, you know, read leaflets. And at the time it was cassettes, listen to, to tapes. And, and as I began to do that, to try and find a contradiction within the faith to save her from this oppressive lifestyle, I, became, I started to become convinced that it was the truth. And it was very scary because I'm the type of person that when I do something, I give it my 150%. Mm -hmm. Um, it terrified me. It terrified me the changes that I was, you know, experiencing on a rational level, on an emotional level. Um, and in the end, I cut her out of my life. I put the tapes away, put the leaflets away, put the Quran away. I didn't want to have anything to do with this. What have you experienced, really? What made you feel a bit scared? Because I knew that my life would change. I would have to change my life because I'm the type of person if I believe in something, if I'm convinced by something, if I'm passionate about something, 200%, you know. Um, so I knew that I would have to change, and that scared me. Change. Nobody really likes change. We, we like the familiar, right? Were you scared from the, you know, your parents acting a certain way? I think, way, I if think you everything. I think the fact that I had to change, I would have to change how I dress. I would have to, to learn new things, do new things, um, uh, break out from the norm perhaps even lose people that were, that were you know, um, Close beloved friends. to me, mm. family, friends. You know, it, it's, it's, it's quite scary. Any type of tra major transition is scary. Um, so I cut her out and I just kind of continued. And then I had my exams. And I remember studying for my exams. Uh, and for some reason, despite the fact that I had kind of taken a break from Islam, I was, my thoughts were just completely um, immersed in just thoughts about Allah and the deen and the Prophet and the proof of God and the proof of the messenger, being a messenger. And, and it was just, I, I, I couldn't study, I couldn't revise. So I went for a walk near where I live just to kind of take a bit of a break and just to kind of clear my head. And I came to a road that I often cross and I couldn't cross it. I could not cross it. And I stood there, and people were crossing, and I just stood there. And one thought was going through my mind. If I cross this road, knowing what I believe, what would that mean? Mm -hmm. If I was to cross this road, knowing what I believe, and die, what would that mean mm -hmm. for me? And so I ran back home, picked up the phone, called my friend and said, I need to become Muslim. And then that was the weekend. And then the Monday I, I took my shahada, alhamdulillah. I can see the honesty in you. You are, you are honest with yourself, aren't you, Alia? I have to be. I have to be. Um, this is something that's very actually, uh, it's interesting that you pick up on that because it's, it's something, I, I cannot do life any other way. I have to be honest with myself, my soul, my feelings, my experiences. I'm very much committed to that, yes. That guides me to, to the thing you've done, mashallah. You are the CEO of Solace Charity. Yeah. So can you tell that the experience you went through 
made you uh, what you are today as a CEO of that particular charity? So um, after I became Muslim, I thought that my life would become amazing, rosy, easy. And, you know, often those that uh, embrace Islam find themselves in difficulty quite quickly after they, they take their shahada. And, you know, I often say, you know, to sisters that once you declare La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, get ready because Allah's going to test you. He's going to test your faith. He's going to test your sincerity. You know, he's going to test your belief in him. And so after I became Muslim, I went through a number of difficult times, um, often alone, unsupported. Um, it was very, very difficult. It was very challenging. Islam, at the time that I became Muslim, you know, it, it, was, it was rare to find someone that, you know, would convert or revert to Islam. You know, now, mashallah, you know, people are becoming Muslim left, right and center, which is wonderful. But at that time, it wasn't very common. Um, and there was, there was a, a lack of support in the community. Um, in fact, it was 2010. I, it was in Ramadan and I was just making dua that Allah would use me for his deen. And I had an idea and that was just, I, I felt that there was a gap in the, in the Muslim community whereby when, you know, it, a revert is, or a convert, whichever one you want to call it, it you know, it's often celebrated but we don't talk about the issues that they encounter after taking their shahada and there isn't a support mechanism or, or an organization that, that supports them in life post shahada so i felt that um yes whilst these organizations are teaching them to pray and, and you know about the, the kind of foundations of islam there isn't that kind of support system so I started brainstorming. I remember this was in Ramadan. I started brainstorming. I just felt that there, there needed to be an organization that offers this level of support. Uh, and so that was, yeah, that was Ramadan 2010. And then three months later, uh, Solis was born. And that, so we've been running for 12 years now. And what we do is we don't want to reinvent the wheel um, that amazing other organizations, you know, the, the work of amazing other organizations. Um, we're not here to kind of focus on the education of reverts. Mm -hmm. what, we're, what we're here to do is to deal with all of the difficult, ugly stuff, you know, that can come for after, take, after someone takes their shahada. Um, so, yeah, so Solace focuses on being that support emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, legally um, for a revert sister, regardless of how long she's been Muslim. And I think this is quite key because... Um, the difficulties that reverts, and obviously we're a charity for women, uh, the difficulties that revert sisters encounter um, don't necessarily emerge immediately after taking the shahada. Mm -hmm. They can emerge years down the line. And so we provide support for revert sisters in difficulty regardless of how long they've been Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, and often, actually, what we've found is that the identity crisis that many revert sisters um, uh, end up uh, experiencing tends to emerge years down the line. Um, so yeah, so that's what we do. Wow. And um, so what are the major, if I can say, challenges 
that the Revert Sisters and Brothers. So is your charity just for sisters? Or? Just for sisters. Loneliness is one of the first ones. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? It's quite ironic because at the time of Shahada, there's a celebration, you know, hugs and promises that, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm here. You, mashallah, you've entered into Islam. Welcome. Yeah. And then after, after the, you know, the novelty wears off, the sisters are left alone. Mm -hmm. So loneliness. Um, difficulty with non-Muslim family, um, being ostracized by your family. Um, again, you know, the, the, the loneliness um, that is experienced as a result of that. Some sisters have found themselves homeless, being kicked out. Um, revert sisters finding themselves in very vulnerable positions whereby, you know, in the process of looking to marry, they're taken advantage of by Muslim men within our community, knowing that they don't have a Muslim family, you know, behind them. Um, difficulties at work, you know, upon now wearing, you know, hijab, you know, whereas they didn't before. Um, sisters who become Muslim in kind of remote areas and, and not having, you know, a community around them. Uh, you know, the, the issues vary, but, um, you know, these are some of them. And we've, you know, unfortunately, we've had, you know, we, we've, we've seen some very, very harrowing cases. And I think it's very, very important to highlight to the community that, yes, anyone that enters the fold of Islam, it, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's to be celebrated. But it, that's just the beginning. It doesn't end there mm -hmm. at all. There's, there's now... Um, a, a, an individual that's transitioning into a new way of life, into new practices, into new traditions, and they need a lot of support in, in that time of transition. And a lack of that creates many issues down the line. Mm -hmm. um, and so we find that you know many of the sisters that we support. Um, mashallah, I'm sure your organization, your charity is doing like, mashallah, many good things for the uh, reverts. But um, if, for example, um, you want to say something to the Muslim, born Muslim people, how would they deal with their brothers and sisters' reverts? Do you have any advice, anything to say to them? Because sometimes, um, because we don't know the struggle, the sisters and brothers, they, they go through. Maybe we can be a bit maybe harsh or we can say things that could be overwhelming for the revert sister or brother. So is there anything specific that you would recommend? I think, I think more than anything, just be there, you know, just, just, just be there. Be, you know, if you, if you see a family member going through something, how will you be with that family member? You'll be caring, you'll be compassionate, you'll be understanding, you'll be supportive, you'll want to hold your, you know, hold their hand, you know, as they go through that difficulty. It's the same thing, I think. It's, it's understanding how delicate the transition is um, and the, the problems and issues that can emerge from that and just being there to support them. I think that that's, that's the, the, the biggest advice that I can give and, and not to place pressure on uh, a revert to change. Mm -hmm. You know, Islam, Islam has entered their life to enhance their beautiful qualities. Mm -hmm. They are still who they are, and Islam has made them better. You know, they don't need to completely transform their whole identity. Um, so just accept, accept us as who we are. Um, and, you know, just, yeah, just be that support. So now I know that you wrote a book, very beautiful book, <laughs> MashaAllah. So 
I have it here with me, Ramadan Reflections, a guided journal, very beautiful book. And uh, first of all, before going through the book itself, I wanted to ask you, how did the idea of writing the book come about? Sure. So actually, um, I, I have always written um, from, a, from a very young age. And I, in fact, I write about that in the book. Um, and I've always wanted to write and publish a book. It's been a dream of mine even prior to Islam, actually. And then after I became Muslim, um, I had to focus on some other things. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily a priority. But then after some time, I returned to my dua, you know, that Allah would make this possible for me before I die. That was a dua that, you know, I've been making for years. And last Ramadan, 2022, I increased in that dua. Really, like, I kept repeating it for some reason. I don't know why it was on my heart, you know. Um, and I, I, I really focused on my, on being certain in how I asked Allah. So it was, you know, I made dua from a case of um, when he would answer and not if. So you were absolutely, like, certain that your dua would be accepted. This is how I make dua. This is, this is just, I, I'm, I, this is my life. When I pray istikhara or I make dua for something, I make it knowing that I just need to wait. It's going to happen. And my Lord will give it to me. Amazing. I love your strong believing. <laughs> MashaAllah. This is exactly how we should make dua. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, I, so that was in Ramadan. Two months later, I was scrolling through my Instagram messages and I came across a message in my request folder. And I, you know, I get messages in my request folder. Um, and don't really pay attention to them. You know, so you can open them and not accept and just, you know. Yeah. So I read this message and I thought it was a scam uh, initially. And then for some reason I accepted it and I replied. And I think back, I think now I think back to that time and think if I didn't, if I approached it in, you know, in the way that I approached so many other, so many of my other kind of message requests, this book wouldn't be here today. But Allah Azawajal knew that I had, to, I had to respond to that message. I'm curious what was the message. So I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so before, before I tell you what was in the message, I, I responded thinking it was a scam, but something in me responded by saying, email me. So I gave the woman my email address. And I knew that the, I knew that the woman that was messaging, well, I assumed actually that she wasn't a Muslim. And she emailed me with a legitimate email address. And I thought, whoa. So the message that she had sent was, you know, I'm a publisher from Penguin. And would you be interested in writing a book for us? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a turning point in your life, Alia. Yes, yes. And I couldn't believe it. And obviously, when I, when I had my first meeting with her, I had so many questions. How did you find me? Why me? I'm not an author. I just write, you know, on the side and post it on social media. You know, what do you want the book to be about? Who do you want the book to be for? And she said to me, we, you know, we came across you, you know, on social media. We have listening tools and, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I went, we, you know, we found other writers, but something kept drawing me back to you. And then she said, we want the book to go out for Ramadan, we want the book to be connected in some way to Ramadan. And I said to her, two months ago in Ramadan, 
I made dua that Allah would allow me to write and publish a book. And she said, ooh, this is spooky, you know. And she's not a Muslim. She's not a Muslim. And I just, and, but for me, at that point, when she was telling me all of this, I just thought, Ya Allah, how generous, how kind, how you respond. Allah surprises us, isn't it? By his mercy and the way dua is accepted. You never know when it comes, how. It's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> so alhamdulillah, so I, 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 I went, she gave me a week to put together um, a book outline. Mm. Um, so I started to brainstorm and I took myself to a, a, a local park in East London and sat in front of a beautiful lake that I used to go to as a child. And I just made dua and I just said, Allah, you know, you've brought this opportunity to me. I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm, you know, I'm very, very busy at work. I've got my children. Um, but you brought this my way. This, this has come from you and this is for you. So just guide me and guide my pen. Um, the thing that... Um actually uh, attracted my attention is uh, I felt honesty in your writing, Alia. Oh, thank you. I felt it's from the, the bottom of your heart. So each chapter ends with three interactive elements. The first is let your heart ponder where the reader is invited to, be, to pause, be still uh, with some profound words. Um, might be a verse from the Quran, a hadith or you know, a quote from a scholar. And then the second part is a du'a invitation where I write a du'a related to the subject theme of that chapter. Uh, it's a very, very personal, heartfelt du'a. And then the third part, as you said, is where the reader has some journal prompts and questions to answer, having kind of reflected over the, the subject matter of that chapter, where they pen their own personal revelations for them. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's the kind of uh, journal element of the book. I know in each book uh, there is uh, a part which is clo the closest to the heart of the author. <laughs> so what is that part for you? I, I've been asked this question so many <laughs> times and, and, and it's, quite, it's quite simple actually. It was the chapter that I found hardest to write. And the reason, the reason why it's my favourite chapter is because I was so frustrated. I had severe writer's block with that particular chapter. I'll, I'll tell you what the chapter is after. Um, I couldn't write it and I was on a tight schedule. I had, third, I had the entire book to complete in a month and at that particular um, point I was really behind in my writing schedule. I had to write a certain number of words every day. And I had writer's block, it just wasn't flowing, it wasn't coming out. And I need, as a writer, particularly with the type of book that it is, I had to be in the zone. Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, I had to write from, from the depths of my heart. And I wasn't there. And I was, and time was passing and I thought, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm falling further behind, you know, in my writing schedule. And then there was a breakthrough. And I wrote from a place of frustration and I wrote from a place of resistance and I accepted it. And I so enjoyed writing that chapter because I just accepted where I was and that became the chapter on acceptance. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. The, the way you, you, uh, you used your frustration, just you exploded the words in there and you let the, the reader feel you. Yeah. actually yeah. that's amazing I mean uh, writing is exceptional it's a way to 
um, to put your feelings out there and your thoughts out there to the reader. So the reader is not just reading words. He is or she is reading feelings yeah. of the author, yeah. isn't it? So it's really fascinating. Um, we don't have much time, unfortunately, Alia, but I would like to get an advice from you. Uh, as for, and for the viewers as well. So if anyone feels that he or she got many ideas and creative ideas out there, he or she wants to turn them to a book or a creative work, but he is struggling. He doesn't know how to start. So do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I would say the first thing that, that I encourage them to do is to turn to Allah first and just to have that, that dialogue with your Lord where you say, you know, this is what I want to do. This is my dream. This is my passion. Use me, guide me, you know, open, open a, a, the doors for me um, and really focus on your intention uh, because one sincere intention can be taken so far by the Lord of the worlds. That's the first step. And thereafter, light. That's it. There's a beautiful book that I, I, I read many years ago called The Right to Write, like it's our right to write. Mm -hmm. And any, any great writer is kind of great because they, they wrote, that's it. You know, if you, want to, if you want to write, you have to write. So just write honestly, write deeply, write authentically, share your writing. If I hadn't shared my writing on social media for the last few years, I wouldn't have been discovered, you know? I wouldn't have been approached. Obviously it's from Allah, but I had to be out there for them to, 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 to see me and to see, you know, to see my work. So write, share, um, and I would say don't try to imitate another writer. Because be you have to be yourself because your words will only resonate with people's hearts um, and will only bring, you know, um, even a story to life if it's written from your own voice as you, you know, from your own authentic voice as a writer. So, yeah, I think this is the advice that I would give. Mashallah, indeed. Uh, so inspiring, mashallah. Sister, I really enjoyed this interview and Thank I learned you. a lot from you. You know, when you sit uh, next to someone inspiring, you can feel the energy and you can have that energy for a full like, month. Very inspiring <laughs> and you can do like very positive things, you know, during that month, mashallah. So I would like to thank you and I wish you all the success. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair and uh, thank you again uh, and our viewers. This is the end of our show in conversation with. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you very much and salam alaikum.